podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mirror man, mirror man, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a Patreon edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm sat in my office, so I couldn't give the good morning uh, a real go like I would when I was at home. Um, but we're we're on. We've got the the podcast founding members, Matt Candela, Johnny Cochran. Welcome to the AOP. You like, like that? that don't we're, we're, we're we're a bit straight these days. Yeah, the AOP. Are we going? Like, yeah. Are we going full shift? Are we going full shift? I've got to stop saying the Arsenal opinion. We're going to go full shift. We like that. Well, you know, we are, the, we are. the Arsenal opinion is like our government name. Do you know what I mean? Like if. If the bank's padding us down for mortgage, um, you know, sign-ups, we're like, yeah, the Arsenal Opinion uh, podcast. But if, like, we're out on the street just, you know, trying to put our brand out there, we're like AOP, strict, direct, coming right at you. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, keep both. Keep both, keep both brands. <laughs> different different times we can, we can utilise both um, names. I like it. Matt, you're a branding expert. Um, what's your take on this? And when are you doing the designs for the logo? I actually just saw some of the first designs today. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I just saw them. I saw them. They're not, they're not quite right, but they're all AOP, AOP, AOP driven. You know, that's what we're doing business as now. You know, <laughs> yeah. no legal names. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I knew that Matt would get on the designs pretty quick when Johnny threatened to get on the Canva. <laughs> Johnny was like, I'll have, a, I'll have a little crack at this design. And I saw Matt's face. It was like, please, please God say no. <laughs> yeah, that's although, it. If, although, if you want people... Sorry, Matt, go on. One, one of the designers who I asked to look at it is a Chelsea fan. So I was really interrogating it to make sure that there's nothing like hidden inside inside the design. You know how all those people who would make the suits would write like "fuck you" and then do the lining inside. So I was like, just make sure there's no like hidden Chelsea juju sort of in, in the brand. There can't be any JTs like you know just yeah. smuggled into the connected connections of the letters. No, absolutely not. Or I will be digging out my <laughs> <Yeah>. camera. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, we've got an action-packed Patreon show for you today. Um, there's lots of things to get through. Arsenal really kicking it up a gear this summer. I'm having the greatest summer of all time. I haven't gone on vacation. I've just sat glued to news now, banging F5, knowing that at some point there'll be a, a David Ornstein mega drop and we'll all be thrilled. So it's, it's, it's all good so far. Um, so I think, Johnny, because you weren't here at the weekend, we are going to steam right into Johnny. What is your hottest take on this Wednesday afternoon? So for me, and well done on the pod, by the way, it's always nice to listen in when I'm not around. And, you know, it's like in terms of in the podcast world, it's like I died and I get to listen in as a ghost. Do you know what I mean? And I see that you guys are flourishing yeah. without me. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, yeah, great, doing well without me. But, oh, I'm back now. So, you know, let's just let's just re-engage with the three of us rather you know the, the world's better when we're all together the whole triad there you know now um hottest takes look guys I'm what I loved about what you were saying the other day is you're upbeat of course you are I'm very upbeat I'm feeling positive about 
the way that we're moving, some of the stuff that Matt was dropping the other day, absolute lyrics, some real hot bars. And it was, you know, when you were talking about the fact that it seems like... Let's talk about the fact that I was one of the most outspoken with the what I said at the time was an appalling misjudgment in the January transfer window. We didn't sign. It could have got us over the line. I still think there's some merits in that. But ultimately, what you said, Matt, I'm in full agreement with. And that is that if we had known at the time that we were going to start going on, you know, thuggish in the in the transfer window in the summer, I would have been a lot more at peace with what was going on in January because it would have felt like there was an overall plan. I know Pete would say it, but we didn't have any assurances at that time that we were going to, you know, go on like a bull in a china shop in summer. And so I'm sitting there in January going, it is so easy to have just brought in reinforcements and probably got us over the line. But if they, you know, are going to start getting into a stage where they're going to commit to going after real quality signings, quality reinforcements that are going to drag the squad forward. Got to be honest with you, Pete, you have said this for a while, that that was the MO. They didn't want to, um, you know, seemingly go after anyone who wasn't going to fit the full uh, the full spec, if you like, for what we're looking for as a squad. And so much so that it's not just about getting us into top four. We're after players that are going to help us try and win the league. And when you're seeing us linked to players that we've had, obviously we're going to get into the players that we've already signed. But I'm almost excite- as excited by the players that we're being linked to and, and are, are seriously after uh, as much as the players that we have signed because it is a real statement of intent. I'm extremely excited by the way that the club is moving because finally we've put our big boy pants on and we're starting to throw our weight around. And I like that a lot. You know, I I don't support Arsenal, you know, just so we win trophies every year. You can't You can't support a football team expecting to win every year. But what I expect from my football team is to put their best foot forward every single year and to be trying to not just, you know, make do, make top four, all of this stuff, but, in you know, over the course of time that it will take to be challenging for the biggest trophies around. That is the ethos of the club. That's the fabric of the club. We are a winning club and we need to return back to those, you know, heady heights. Uh, Johnny, it feels so good to hear you talk with that much energy, passion and sunshine in your voice. Uh, (laughs) Matt Candela, I felt that you were a little bit sad at the weekend. When we were on that podcast, I was like, is Matt sad? I want to know how you're feeling today on this Wednesday. I know you've had a big week. You're pitching, you're making dollars, you're designing the AOP merch line. I know it's a stressful occasion, my friend, but like, tell us how you're feeling today. What's the hottest of take on this Wednesday afternoon for you? Oh, he's muted. Look, yeah, and I was just keeping keeping the background clear for Johnny. But now, uh, <laughs> listen, um, I was so optimistic about this summer. And I still overall am optimistic, but the doubts are beginning to creep in, I've got to be honest. And the doubts are because I have so much scar tissue when it comes to Arsenal transfer windows. And this whole, everything that's going down with Rafinha... The delays on Lisandro are giving me the heebie-jeebies a little bit, to be honest. And maybe that's unfair, but it's, you know, you try to only sign a Peter check in a window and see what it does to you over the years, you know. So going in and bidding for players doesn't mean anything. It just doesn't. 
And a lot of the scar tissue that I have is is that from that like Higuain window, you know, where the deal was done, it was close, it was reported, and we didn't get the deal done because we fucked around, essentially. And I'm just worried about the length of time it is between Romano and Ornstein saying we're close with Lisandro with Rafinha, and then not getting those deals done because I know from running my business. There are some people who just don't, they don't like paying for things. They don't like paying for things. They like looking interested. They like poking around. They like asking all the right questions. But at the end of the day, they don't like putting their money on the table. And that's what one of Arsenal's problems has been over the years with Arsene Wenger. In later years, we come in, we offer low-ball offers. And then someone else comes in and just takes all the prizes off the table. So what I'm really worried about is that that's happening a little bit. We've had these these ones that are ongoing. Let's be honest, Fabio Vieira, good player for the future, really pleased. Um, probably wasn't, there wasn't much competition for that one. Uh, uh, Gabriel Jesus, like lots of competition, did really well to get him. But we have to get some of these deals over the line. We've been talking about them and I worry that we've been too slow and the thing about top players is you don't have the same time. When, when people get alerted that they are available, it's go time. You know, it's, and, and you've got to put a, a cost on your time to negotiate these deals. And if we're spending a load of time focusing on this and not on another deal, you know, we could get screwed because if we're all focused on this one. So I need to see some of these deals. I need to see the, the, the dominoes falling uh, in the next few days because um, I don't want this to be an Arsenal-esque window. I don't want it to be a 40 million in one window. I want it to be the best window in 20 years. So, cautiously optimistic. It's uh, it's interesting listening as you talk there, Matt, because it's a little bit like the the when you start dating someone that's been cheated on a few times. You're, like, <laughs> you're, you're not going to cheat on me. You're not going to cheat on me, are you? That's how I feel listening to you. I am, uh, I'm a little bit calmer. I think you both have uh, sat with me on enough podcasts to know that I'm usually a top button done up person. Today. <laughs> There's a reason that this shirt button is undone. And people are like, wow, why, why are you so relaxed? Because I'm relaxed about the summer. Arsenal are back in Mikel Arteta with massive money. There are good vibes at the training ground. Um, the Rafinha thing, and I, I understand, you know, nobody thought that we were going to sign him. And we'll talk about him a little bit more in, in a minute. But Barcelona had agreed wages with him since February. So this really is an opportunistic move. And if it falls through, it falls through. But I think the, the key areas that we've got, uh, that, that we're going to focus on, and we will talk about this, I think the Lissandro deal, it could be um, massive for Arsenal. I don't know where the midfielder signing's going to come from. Um, but I think getting midfield and, and left back sorted for me is kind of the most important thing. But overall, Arsenal are probably going to spend 180 to 200 million this summer. If Rafinha drops out, that doesn't mean that we're not going back in. There'll be a plan A, B, C, D um, at Arsenal, and they will make sure that um, they're fully stocked going into the season. And um, then we'll probably try and shift out 60, 70 million pounds worth of talent, move some players out on loan. I mean, it's quite interesting watching Ainsley come back to training today, Hector Bellerin, um, is it the ground? Balogun's probably going to go out on loan. But I think overall, the, the vibes at Arsenal are the, the manager 
was signed to a new deal because they believed in him. And the manager said he'd only sign a new deal if he was back to the transfer window. And Arsenal were going all in on making uh, making the Premier League a priority. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm relaxed. Uh, I think that we're making interesting moves. The most important sign in the summer for me was the striker. That's through the door. Jesus getting his photographs sorted uh, today. So that will be announced Friday, um, Friday or Saturday. And we are, we're cash rich. And I think that, that ultimately the biggest, hottest take is when you are playing for the top tier players, there's going to be competition. And there are always going to be bigger pigs, bigger pigs at the trough. And we're kind of getting barged out of the way a little bit. So I do want to move on to uh, where we talk first. Rafinha. Rafinha is one of the oddest curveball uh, signings of the last decade for me. We've got Starboy, Bukayo Saka, absolutely blowing it up at right wing. Uh, Nicolas Pepe sitting in behind him. But I didn't expect us to go in with a £65 million signing of Rafinha. Turns out that I don't think Arsenal do have sixty-five million to spend on him. The deal isn't dead, and the club still hold a little bit of hope because Deco was in Barcelona. Barcelona have got no money. Uh, Chelsea might be using uh, Rafinha to lower the price of Raheem Sterling, who's on massive wages at Manchester City. Um, and Arsenal are, uh, still think that they're in negotiations. Uh, I wanted to, Johnny. I wanted to talk to you. What did you? What do you think about Rafinha? If this deal falls through, are you going to be uh, burning up the internet with uh, with Game of Thrones dragon fire, or you're not too concerned? Like, what what are your thoughts on why we're signing him, and what do you think if the deal doesn't go through? Yeah, so you know, I'm 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 kind of on the same page as you with this. Like, Rafinha for me is was a bonus signing. It it's interesting to me because it. It marks out our intent and it gives me encouragement that we are, you know, interested in players. And like you said, the key word opportunistic. If someone is available and we think that they could be useful for us, we'll get in and start nosing around. And that's good. But ultimately, it just kind of feels like a a, a signing that, don't get me wrong, I would not turn him down if he comes through the door. I'd be quite happy to see him there. But if we don't get him, he's the one I, I care the least about not getting I think there are other options available. I think that you're talking about reinforcing in an area that is the strongest on our team, I'd say. Well, probably centre-backs now. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, Emil Smith-Rowe's not shit. He's still around. Martinelli. All of these guys are trying to get game time. We know we're trying to replace Nicolas Pepe, but I think you don't have to spend £65 to replace him. Rafinha, I think, is a decent player, and there's a good chance he could blow big. But... It hasn't happened up to now. Let's be clear about that. Um, I don't think we're talking about a guy who's world class by any stretch. Sixty-five million is not a you know a, a joke amount of money. It's it's a, a serious chunk out of whatever we're going to spend. And to echo what you were saying, without a shadow of a doubt, the reason why I'm more settled and optimistic now is because Gabby Jesus is over the line. The fact is, I don't care anywhere near as much about Rafinha coming through the door as. The fact that we needed a striker, massively needed a striker. When we were on this podcast a few weeks ago, Pete, and you were saying I was, you know, sounding a bit glum, it's because we didn't actually have a striker at the club. We had Balogun, who was out alone. And Ketia hadn't signed at that point. And Jesus, you know, we just, it was just speculation. We have a pipe at that point. Dream, yeah. 
Exactly. At this point, we've now tied Eddie down. Whether you, you back that idea or not, the fact is he's here and it's it's a feasible, you know, kind of it's more than feasible backup option in terms of striker. And Gabriel Jesus, I know some people will still have question marks, but I don't completely get it. The guy's of course he's not been a guy scoring twenty goals a year for like five seasons. We get that. But he's been playing at the a premium, premium club in the world. He plays a fair number of games, has been contributing to all of the trophies that they've won. We know he can perform when the lights shine the brightest. So I'm happy with the pedigree of player that we are identifying and signing. And he's giving Arteta a bit of credit. I know I'm not known for doing it on the, um, on the pod uh, all the time. Some people accuse me of it anyway. But this is genuinely one of the players, Gabriel Jesus, I mean, where... I think that Arteta's relationship with the player was completely instrumental to him coming to the club. There were other clubs interested. Um, that's how you know that he's a good player. There were other clubs going, hey, if we can get him, 45 million. Like, we got a darling deal because Arteta used to be at City. Gabriel Jesus has come because he's worked with Arteta in the past. And the other uh, thing is, just to go back to the Rafinha situation... We're also benefiting from the relationships that Edu has built up. And I don't think we'd even have a chance with Rafinha if it wasn't for Edu. But you see when Jesus turned up at the training ground, you know, Edu's there slapping high fives, inviting him to his barbecue. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's go. Got Brahmas on the go. So he's, he's working that Brazilian relationships. And I think if we do get Rafinha, it will be absolutely instrumental to it. The only thing I would push back a little bit with you when you were saying about Deco going to Barcelona. We can't forget, but Deco played at Chelsea as well. He knows the club. And I think yeah. that everything that, you know, I'm hearing is that it's Barcelona first and Chelsea second in terms of preferences. And let's be clear, I know Chelsea have been in a bit of uproar, but for a player like Rafinha, he doesn't owe anyone anything. They're playing in the Champions League. They've won the Champions League in recent times. And now if they have got their money situation under control... Chelsea is a bigger draw than Arsenal right now. We're trying to get ourselves back there. So I won't be devastated if this deal falls through. But as long as, as Matt said, if deals fall through, we have to be identifying alternative targets and going after them ruthlessly. Because we can't just be like the Vlaivic situation where we miss out on our first choice and then think, fuck it, we'll just crack on. That's not reasonable. Macandela, what a lot of people don't know about you is you're a bit of a fan of Rafinha. Um, what do you think about this deal and what does it say if we can't get it over the line? Look, I, I was just so excited when I saw us making these types of moves, to be honest. It was so unarsenal like to be opportunistic, to go big, to make it happen. And, you know, it's like anything. It's, it doesn't really matter whether it's logical. It doesn't really matter whether it makes sense. When you think it could happen, you're disappointed when it's not. For me personally, it... It was. It's purely about the Premier League. And if he goes to Barcelona, I really don't care. I have no problem whatsoever. It's just like, okay, yeah, we tried to turn a fair with that. Going to Chelsea, in my opinion, would sting because the reality of our situation is that they're a direct competitor for third place, fourth place. And I think that the 15 goals that he could potentially get, 10 to 15 Premier League goals, that he could get next season in a top team would be the difference between which of those clubs finish higher than the other. 
And so that's the way I look at it and just think, you know, you've just got to take these opportunities. And, you know, good teams, they, they, they really make their moves on opposition when their oppositions are weak, you know. And Chelsea, forget about everything. They're at the weakest they've been in some time because they've got internal issues. They've lost, they've got to buy some centre-halves. No one quite knows how the team's going to work. There's just some uncertainty. And so rather than giving them an easy win, because Todd Bowley is going to be treating this like a major success if he gets this over on Arsenal. You, sometimes you've just got to psychologically break the opposition and prove to them that we're on the way back and we have ambition. So that's where a lot of it really comes from. For me, it's, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not necessarily logical. It's more, you know, just get it done be opportunistic, make it happen. So, but, but like you said, we can't judge the decision now. If we don't get it and then we sign Nabry next week, it was, you know, we, we've absolutely nailed it. So we've got to wait and see. We've got to have confidence. But I read something quite interesting, which said, you know, last year, none of the players we were interested in, there wasn't really any competition for any of their signatures, really. Now we're playing in a different pool, which means we've got to show that we have the aggression and the ability to get these bigger deals done rather than just be used as leverage. And so I just want to see them get done. Yeah, fair, fair points. Um, I, I, think the, the, I think the whole deal is quite interesting because we're also playing in the super agent world now. And it's like <laughs> Barcelona don't have any money, but they're putting their hat in the ring. Uh, Leeds are trying to get a big deal. And it's like, are they using... Chelsea rumours to pump Arsenal's bid or are Chelsea really at the table? And then it's like, are Chelsea really in for Rafinha or is the true target Sterling, but they don't like the 40 or 50 million that Manchester City are trying to charge for uh, the player and they hope that City wants 300 grand off their wage bill. Um, I've got a question for you, Pete, as well, which is, do you feel like the transfer, the people like David Ornstein and the people like Fabrizio Romano who have always been reliable sources of information have now had like their like inside track reduced. I feel like they're being used as much as anyone now. But has that always been the case or do we think that they yeah. actually are being used in the same way that everyone is? Because I feel like it used to be that when Ornstein said deal close, nearly done, it was deal close, nearly done. Now it feels like Everyone's a deal close, and it doesn't mean anything anymore. The clubs, the, the the idea, I think, the idea that uh, the clubs don't understand how to work these big transfer uh, journos is is quite naive. Arsenal one hundred percent know how to move rumours, and they make them work for themselves. And and David Ornstein always gets it right in the end. I mean, he was nailed on with Jesus, but Arsenal also put. A lot of other stories into the ether. Um, Osiman was in there. Tammy Abraham uh, was in there. So the club clubs use these to their favours, and I think the the Leeds United are canny operators, and they'll want to get maximum out of their asset. So I, I, that's why I don't think this deal is is totally dead. Um, I don't I don't necessarily see it as um, you know, a failure if we don't get in there. I would rather see us in the mixer as serious contenders because Arsene Wenger didn't want to compete. 
ever for players. You know, Higuain, he didn't want to compete. As soon as anybody entered the market for a signature or somebody asked for an asking price a little bit too high, he didn't want to be involved. I like the fact that Arsenal were involved in this signature. Um, and I like the whatever the project is that they're selling, you know, they're selling to players in their absolute prime. We're not picking up 33-year-old Williams anymore. Gabriel Jesus has just given his five best years to Arsenal. Lissandro Mar uh, Martinez is 24 years old. Uh, Tielemans is 24 years old. Like these are these are top players in their prime coming to to play for Arsenal. So if we miss out on this, I'll I'll be a little bit gutted. But I don't think I don't think the story's over right now, and I don't think we need to panic about Arsenal not having a plan B. And I think somebody somebody wrote the other day, if if there is a position that's a little bit easier to fill, it's wingers. There are a lot of like wingers with end product in Europe versus Lissandro Martinez, who is a very specific type of like you know, Cancelo left back. And if we miss out on him, I don't think it would be very easy to replace. So uh, at least Arsenal are in the mixer. Uh, at least Edu seems to have a bit of a role at the club right now. I mean, I haven't seen Mikel Arteta in a single photograph uh, this transfer window. So Edu's obviously trying to, you know, pump his reputation a bit and show that he's got a lot of value. It's a lot of Brazilians coming through the door. Um, so I'd, I'd say watch this space from Rafinha. I, I don't think all, all is as it seems, to your point. I'm not sure that um, I think that I, I'm not sure that all the information coming out is perfect. And it's all, always understand where the rumor is coming from. And that's what David Ornstein and um, um, uh, Romano and, you know, the Italian guy don't tell you. It's like, where is the rumor come from? Is this Leeds pushing the rumor out? Is this Chelsea? Is this Arsenal? And then look at all of the other, you know, the the spider's web of of other deals that are going on at the moment. Because uh, I still find it odd that Chelsea are going to invest a hundred million in wingers when Kante is getting older, when they don't have any centre backs and they don't have a striker. I saw one of the media guys saying earlier, but the biggest threat to Arsenal's uh, future season is is not losing out on Rafinha. It would have been if Chelsea had gone hard at Gabriel Jesus. That would have been problematic, especially yeah, I, in the system, right? I was, I was literally going to say the same things. Like, you know, first of all, it's not, it's not up to us to question what Chelsea do. Like, who gives a shit? Basically, horrible club. But the reality is, is it feels weird that they'd be going after Sterling and Rafinha. It's it, like us. It's the area they've actually got the most, you know, strength of uh, of depth in. But at the end of the day, they've got to fit Pulisic, Werner. Um, I think Hudson Adoy is still knocking about. They've got Hakim, Hakim Ziyech seems like a kind of like for like player with Rafinha. It seems odd that they would just try and get another one in when in reality they haven't got a striker. And we know firsthand how damaging not having a striker can be um, to achieving your goals. You kind of touched on it, and I think we'll probably be leading into the next point, Pete. But for me, the Lissandro Martinez deal is so much more important. Let's be clear, if we don't sign another player this window, my tone will change like that, 100%. I'm happy now because I'm believing and I'm, you know, trusting in the fact that Arsenal won't fuck up all the other deals. And the way that they've addressed the current signings, uh, and they seem to have done it in an efficient manner largely, I am backing them to get, you know, most of the players that we've been linked with over the line. It's gone quiet with Tielemans, but I think that seems like a transfer that we could 
go back to later, further down the line, and just gobble him up quite late on. And I think we don't need to worry about can he do it in the Premier League? We know he can. So if you're telling exactly, me right yeah. now, if Tielemans is coming in, but more important, Lissandro Martinez, who I believe is not just like a squad player, this guy would be coming in and either being told you're going to be starting or you're certainly going to be, you know, competing for starting. And he may well be our first choice left back 10 games into the season. Um, that, in terms of a haul, Jesus, Vieira, um, Lissandro, William Saliba back. We haven't talked about him today. Uh, that's one for the ones, for the, the listeners, the audience to get fucked off by the mere mention of his name. Um, him returning. And obviously, if we were to uh, dump Tielemans in there then as well, I think that is a very, very exciting summer transfer window and one that would be enough to get us into at least top four. And like you say, Matt, I think there's blood in the water at Chelsea if they can't sort it out and we should be aiming for them. And listen, I know that we're going to move on to our next topic. It's not going to be Lissandro Martinez yet. We're going to have a little break. And... um, I know that I know that I don't want to give him too much uh, coverage here, but Matt, Chelsea have uh, they've been part of a distress sale. Roman Abramovich is out. Todd Bowley is in. They've got a board of directors, which I think is five or six people that don't have a lot of sporting experience. Um, Todd Bowley is a baseball guy, and he has sacked Marina who has looked after the, you know, the day-to-day running of Chelsea for a long time. She's been very successful, uh, has her ups and downs. But largely, I think if she, if she joined Arsenal, we'd be pretty happy. Um, and Todd Bowley has uh, made himself the technical director. He, the Athletic keep on writing about his approach being very American. He's suggesting trades himself with next to no experience in football. <laughs> the, the makeup of the summer so far looks a little bit odd. Matt, do you think Chelsea are going to feel the impact of Todd Bowley this season or or, um, is he going to be able to take his baseball values into the Premier League and take it by storm next year? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was obviously hoping that he he takes as much on his own shoulders and does as much of the transfer dealings himself. My dream signing for Chelsea is Neymar. I think that is my dream signing for them. And I think <laughs> it's not beyond the realms of possibility because it sounds insane, but I think that type of divisive character in a team, the amount of outlay it takes, the amount of issues it comes with, but the amount of temptation to get a deal like that done uh, it, it would be huge. So he would be my dream signing for Chelsea. Um it doesn't typically work long term when you have an owner being, you know, the technical director. But you know, Chelsea have also got a really great team and a lot of good players, and so it might not. Be, and they've got a really, really great coach. So this sort of like just buying the names that you see on Twitter or on the back page that your rivals are after might be all right. But what worries me more is he seems clear to make a big, big splash. Like he's not doing a cronky, is he? He's not coming in and like thinking about conserving cash. He seems more intent on demonstrating some ambition. So whether it's rightly or wrongly spent is sort of irrelevant. It does it doesn't really go along with the myth of American owners being pretty conservative and just like coming in and servicing the debt and 
you know, seeing the, the, the thing go up in value. So that's not good news, I don't think. But we'll see. Again, t- time time will tell. But it'll be interesting. He'll be buoyed up if he gets Rafinha over the line. So obviously we don't want that. I would rather, that's why I'd rather go to Barcelona. And he's left to cut some other deals. He's, you know, he's left looking at his plan B and plan C. And he, unlike us, may not have a plan B and a plan C. So um, it's going to be interesting. Johnny, yeah, I mean, um, oh, sorry. I was, I was going to lead in with, uh, I, think it's a, I think Matt tweeted in the week, the most dangerous thing Chelsea could have done is not change a single thing. Tom Bowley doesn't want to hear any of that. Um, what's your take on this and how quickly do you think we'll see the impact in a positive or a negative way? Again, you know, I'm, I'm in agreement with Matt in, this, in the sense that I was a little disappointed to see him coming in because we were starting to get a bit emboldened by the fact there was a lack of movement at Chelsea. And we were wondering, because unlike in previous years where you knew what Chelsea were going to do, even if they had a quiet summer, they'd back it up the summer after with something naughty, uh, which would just reset the boat again for them. And then once again, they've got the jump on us. But this year... It was all up in the air. We didn't know what was exactly going to happen happen at that club. But now it does seem that, at the very least, he will be willing to invest money. And, you know, what is then more encouraging for me is what you said, Pete, in terms of the fact that he has started getting rid of key members of staff. Because if he came in and said, I'm willing to spend money and use their expertise and experience to spend that money, then I think that Chelsea are already starting for a position where they're in front of us and they could have recruited well to at least maintain that gap, if not improve upon it. However, um, I think at this stage, if you're going to come in and take over a club and say, I'm running things now, (laughs) with no experience, like you're playing championship manager, it's music to Arsenal fans' ears. Go on, mate. Yeah, you you know, put your Spotify playlist on on, in the dressing room. It's all Todd. You, You take it away, mate. You know football. It'll run the club into the ground. It'll be great to watch. Absolute tyre fire. Uh, and I'll get to look on with with some glee. And I do think that we talked about the fact that, you know, if we don't get Rafinha, of course, we, we mentioned him. If we could do a sly little move for Serge Nabry, who seems to, you know, money-wise, yeah, it seems like a more than feasible equivalent. And I would like it if Arsenal were smoke screening for what would be the most explosive transfer of this window. You can have your Haaland's. If we got Nabry, it would get it would get really fucking spicy around it. It would. We would be going into big teams. Liverpool, I heard you guys talking about Mane's gone, Salah's rocky. We'd be showing up Nabry, Saka. I mean, it, Jesus up front, goodness gracious me. It could get... We could be going to these places as favourites. Um, but, you know, that hasn't happened yet. And I, I just would love... I'm more optimistic that Arsenal are running, you know, side manoeuvres, that's all. Whereas with Chelsea, whatever that, you know, the hand they're laying right now, that is what they're doing. Because I don't think Todd Bowley is coming into a new club and being able to operate with some of the guile that these experienced, um, you know, owners and director of footballs, etc., usually run with. So um, I, I think that, Chelsea, because of his involvement, are there for the taking if we recruit well. I think not necessarily we'll definitely do him, but I think they should be 
a realistic target for us next year. It shouldn't just be about focusing on Spurs. Yeah, I, I, I would be concerned if I was a Chelsea fan. I think the there are a few things that I quite love about what uh, Bowley's doing. Firstly, he's behaving the way English fans expect American owners to behave. Brash, arrogant, uh, lacking expertise. Todd Bowley seems to be treating Chelsea like a plaything. And I, I remember an owner that came to a club that did a very similar thing. Do you remember, it was it Magnus Magnusson who took over uh, Chelsea uh, and burned it to the ground. He signed Freddie Lundberg on a, on a 140 grand a week contract and he played about seven games. Um, I wonder, I feel like that there's a there's a chance that could happen. But what the most beautiful thing about it is American ownership is going to be a different culture to Russian ownership. And the checkbook isn't going to be the same level. I suspect that maybe Todd Bodie came in and said about Marina, did you sign a hundred million pound striker that sat on our bench for an entire half of a season? And we can't even get a fee for him now. You're a joke. Get out. But him taking over the reins and treating it like baseball is perfect because, uh, you know, you, you want to step back and say, maybe it can work. Maybe Thomas Tuchel and his technical staff can make this work, but there's not, there's not a history of it. And, we're not a league without money now. They're not. It's not like the big dog coming in and spending money. And if you throw the most money at a problem, something will stick in a weak league. This is the strongest league in the world. And the two best clubs are strategic. They have a, like a, a, a very strong vision of where they want to go as a club. And every single part of their operation is elite and funded to the highest level. I don't think you can afford not to have a, a grand vision I don't think you can afford to have a technical director who, let's be honest, he he's never played championship manager, Johnny. He never had that on his computer. He was he was playing baseball games or or, or Madden. He wasn't he wasn't playing championship manager. That, so that should be the minimum requirement for a new owner. You have to have good. had some successful seasons on champ manager. Um, I'm just thinking, by the way, Pete. I know Matt's going to have to go in a sec. Should we go on to the battle for Lissandro subject? Yes. Yeah, so Matt, we can hear Matt's pearls of wisdom before he dashes. Uh, man like Matt Candela, uh, what a lot of people don't know about you is you're a massive fan of Lissandro Martinez. Um, what do you think about this battle versus Manchester United? What do you think about Ten Hag coming in with no technical director? What do you think about a player that was very close with the manager that doesn't seem to be that interested? What's going on here, Matt? Give us the hot take. Honestly, I don't know enough about him. I've watched the same clips that you've watched. Um, I've got some reservations about his height in the Premier League, uh, but everyone tells me he's good aerially and he wins 60% of duels and it's nothing to worry about and look at all these other players. I think it's easy to say that. I think Premier League is Premier League. It's like different gravy when it comes to what you need to succeed. But I want to make it happen because it seems like an ambitious move. We're buying him from a good club. He seems to be very good at ball progression and I trust the vision of Arsenal. So all of those things make me want to go. I actually feel somewhat relieved that United are in for him because when when your old coach doesn't want to take you with him, you do ask some more questions. And it was interesting just doing a bit of reading about that and seeing that he wasn't always a regular in the Ajax team under, under the, the now United coach. He didn't fancy him for a bit and it was only when I think Daily Blind was out and he came in and those sorts of things. So 
I think it's a good thing that United are in for him because I think it, it shows that the person who knows him best, i.e. his former coach, really rates him and thinks he can do a job in the Premier League and would be very dependent on him. So that's all good. Again, get the fucking deal done. Get it done. We've just been pussyfooting around. We know it's not going to be 30 million. And I know that there's, there's, a, there's a process of negotiation. But now the interest is hotting up. Get it done. Because soon enough, there'll be someone else in there. If Chelsea don't get Rafinha, they'll be in for Lisandra. They probably are in for Lisandra. They need centre-halves. <laughs> so, you know, everyone is going for these players. And speed of execution is more important than counting the last dollar. Because these are young players. They have sell-on value if things don't work out, hopefully. And yeah, we we need to we need to get it done. So yeah, get the deal done, Matt. Great seeing you, mate. Take care. Take care. So it's just me and you now. We can slag off Matt's opinions. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Didn't wait for that. What, is, he what does he know about, about deals? Exactly. Did, has he had a successful Championship manager season? We don't even know. Pete, probably do not. Probably yeah, not. Yeah. Me. I had a struggling West Ham team, right? I signed David Johnson for Mitrovich and I got relegated. This wasn't a positive story, okay? It wasn't a nice ending. I'm just telling you, it's tough. it's tough out there and I ended up getting sacked. So, uh, but the good thing about chat manager is you can start again. You know what I mean? You so, can cheat. You can cheat by coding. Exactly. It. And I did. And there was times where I got into the coding and said, oh, my West Ham season, we've got loads of money, you know, that kind of thing. But you feel dirty afterwards. Um, I, I would not feel dirty if we signed Lissandro Martinez. Um, what do you What do you make of Arsenal shifting from um, power and pace merchants of uh, of Kieran Tierney and Nuno Tavares to a more Cancelo ish builder from the back? And my my second part of the question is, what do you think about Arsenal maybe avoiding signing a midfielder because this guy can play both positions? What do you think there? Um, so no, if they did that, I would be disappointed. This is not a one size fits all. We sign him and we don't sign a midfielder. As far as I'm concerned, at this stage, unless you're going to catch me with some, you know, something out of the blue, I mean, we don't really know what v- the other thing is, we don't know how they're going to integrate Vieira, what position they're looking for him to play in. Because from what I can see, he can play wide, but he could also play. In that number eight role, if you like, and and that is a potential position that they might be looking for him. But the fact is, is he looks like um, a scrawny teenager straight out of PE. You know this really guy's still small, wearing, like he still looks wearing, painfully light on his feet, mate. He's still wearing Lynx Africa. That is, you know, <laughs> he's in that mode. We know you can smell the Lynx Africa on him. By the way, we have a new king of nicknames. He put himself in the mixer last year when he started calling Emil Smith Road the Smith. But have you noticed that Nuno Tavares has been calling um, uh, Vieira Teabag, uh, akin to the character from Prison Break, who is more than a shady character, but he he's basically yeah a guy a, a character called Teabag. And clearly in the Portuguese like national team or the leagues, there's a bit of banter going on about the lookalike, and he keeps tagging him and saying, "Oh, welcome to the club, Teabag," and stuff. So. That's one to look out for if you didn't know that. Is it, it is quite is it funny. Tea bag as in T E A or T bag? Um, I'm not even sure, but um, considering the motive 
uh, and the kind of behaviour of the character in Prison Break, it might be teabag because I'm pretty sure that guy was, you know, up for a teabag. Um, so that may have been where he got his name from. But either way, that's who he's being likened to in terms of looks. So I do think it's a good bit of... Nuno Tavares may have let us down with his performances on oh, the field. Oh, but... likened, likened to looks. Because I was glad, because if there's an action that he's being likened to, I don't, I don't know whether I want that at my club. Oh, he's notorious for tea. He's the teabagger. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, 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 I'm around know. on the team coach doing disgusting things. I, I you, never, you never know with Udo Tavares. He, he no, seems he like the guy who knows some wild stuff. But no, there's a character in Prison Break called Teabag. And the guy who plays him, he, he's the actor is also out of Heroes. And Nuno Tavares has said, man. yeah, yeah. So he's getting thrown under the bus. And the guy looks like he could be blown over in a strong wind. So uh, welcome to the club, Vieira. We love having you. But I tell you what, if we're talking about a player who doesn't look like he'll be blown over in a wind, it's the Sandro. And I'm, you know, to come back to your original points, I'm very happy with the idea that we are reprofiling potentially our left back. I think that this guy, you, you know, Matt was maybe bringing him up about being maybe shorter, but very good in the air. Let's think Bakary Sanya. Do you remember back was not a massive, you know, dude. People forget that. He, I, I don't even know how tall he was, but probably about five nine. But he had a monster leap, and because he was made out of titanium, it didn't really matter if he was smaller because he would leap up high and not just be pushed around in the air because he was so dense. Um, and if Martinez is cut from the same cloth as I've been suggested that to that he is, I. You know, I'm fully on board with him. We need more than anything at left back. Yes, I'm excited by distribution, but we need a player who is built for this shit. Endurance is key. We can't keep basing our seasons on Kieran Tierney's knees and hamstrings. We know the end of that story. Lissandro looks like he is a warrior and a brute and someone who's going to play for you most games. And he's also got the finesse as well to be able to pick accurate passes and help. Spring us on the break. So, yeah, I'm, I really, Lissandro is a player I really, if we sign him, I'll be delighted. As Matt said, it's great that United are in, in terms of a, a you know, a glowing endorsement that your ex managers there. But because of that, we have to get going on this one. The only thing that unsettles me is when people say that Arsenal are prioritising Rafinha, when for me, this should be the biggest priority. To, if, if they weren't, you know, on red alert before, they should be now. There are other clubs there. Pay Ajax what they want. Get this deal over the line. I'm hearing he's interested in the club. But sometimes you just have to, you know, lay the big chunky mon money down so it stops becoming an issue. And we, you know, have set out our very serious intentions for the player. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the excitement front. I think the, I think the Kieran Tierney... I love him. Please don't attack me in the comments if you're listening to this and you pay to listen to me slander Kieran Tierney. I think he can be a little bit one-dimensional. Uh, and I, I know that he didn't really have a striker to aim for last year, but I'm not always massively fond of the end product. And I think the, the idea that we have to have Granite Jacker dropping into left back, I think that this player gives us a lot more options. I like, you know, I, I don't mean to stereotype but Argentinians that make it in elite-level sports 
are warriors. <laughs> They're always warriors. Um, and the fact that you know everybody that watches him, like he 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 wins four four aerial duels a game, which is like double most people. <laughs> Not that we need aerial prowess um, at left back, but it's nice to have that option. Uh, I love. Uh, I love that he's bravery. I love the way that he passes the ball. It is interesting that he wasn't always a regular for Ajax, but he does appear to have been on Arsenal's radar for quite a while. And the, I keep on reading that Man United's interest isn't that firm. Like it's sort of backseat interest. And Arsenal will definitely have taken a PowerPoint presentation to this player and shown him exactly the position that they want to play him what he can do for the team. And I, I think that there, there is a lot to be said about going to a club that really wants you and really has a plan for you. And Ten Hag might be an amazing manager, but you're a brave player to go to Manchester United this season. It yeah. is a bag of shit there. I think Ten Hag has got at least one year of trying to understand what's going on. I think it's going to be really difficult. I don't think that they are going to bounce right back it's interesting that a lot of the players that they're linked to seem to be from the Dutch league. I know why Ten Hag is doing that because that's all Ten Hag knows. But we've seen it time and time again. Great players in the Dutch league come over here and they can't cut it. Donny van der Beek looked like the second coming of something incredible. Uh, tanked at United, tanked at Everton. But this is a guy that got to the, the semi-final of the Champions League. Just can't cut yeah. it. So I think the... I think that Ten Hag is the showpiece manager of the transfer window in the same way that Varane was the showpiece centre-back of the last transfer window. So I'm I'm quite excited about Martinez coming to Arsenal. I think there'd be a very specific plan. And I hope the, you know, he knows that he'll get coached really well. But it, it will be nice having cover at left-back because Nuno Tavares wasn't it. But maybe Nuno Tavares, after a year, can come in. Uh, if Kieran Tierney is not first choice by the end of the season... He'll go, and then maybe Nuno Tavares will shake out a bit of the chaos um, and come back and, and be a contender the year after. But I think that this could be the most important signing of the window because generally our season goes downhill a little bit when we lose our left back. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and we've got to prioritise endurance in these players. We we need players who are going to uh, season campaigners who are just going to be available. The that little adage that I got picked up from American sports, which I think rings so true, the greatest ability is availability. Um, Sorry, and Todd Foley. Yeah, hey, he knows that, doesn't he? He knows. That's what, I mean, Todd Foley probably has got himself linked up to all the Arsenal transfer news as well. And any time he is, we're linked with a player, just goes, well, I think we should go in for them as well. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly Arsenal are doing good work, so why not hit your wagon? to a, a team that's performing well. I swear, when Chelsea first got money, that's what they did. Players that we were linked to, they would just go, all right, we're coming in. We're, like, yeah. It was like they weren't identifying them themselves. Eden Hazard, do you remember? Like, we should have had that guy. That was that was horrible. We went for Javinho uh, instead. It's just like, oh, and then, you know, it's like, oh, we've gone for Hazard. And, and don't get me wrong, Hazard, a lot of people knew he was good, but he was just one of the players that Chelsea nipped in ahead of. Every time... That those were the days when we really needed that clandestine approach and we should have been rolling. You know, it's where we've learned these lessons where you just have to announce the sign and the player when you've signed them because if any information got out there that we were interested, there were, player, there were clubs with bigger money just going, who are they in for? 
we'll give you five million more. Let's crack on. So, yeah, it's uh, it'll be it'll be an interesting week because they they need to get this one done quickly because Lissandro allows us to play in a different way, um, which is quite exciting. And Johnny, because Matt Candela isn't here, um, you didn't really get the chance to talk about um, Gabriel Jesus. I think a lot has been said about what he can do for our attack, but I wanted to get the angle from you. What does Gabriel Jesus as a signing say about Arsenal standing um, in the Premier League at the moment and what's going on with the project? And as a fan, how do you feel seeing him giving Edu a big hug in Edu's famous blue shirt or white? I don't know what it looks like, light blue to me, but I can't tell. It's, it's, it feels good. Look, every now and then, you, when you have changings of the guard at these big clubs, rather like Real Madrid with the Galacticos and whatnot, when those big players um, are eventually replaced, like, like when every time you get a big signing through the door, there's a player who is already playing there who may also be world-class but realises it's time to move on. I'm not saying Gabriel Jesus is world-class before anyone starts with that. I'm just saying that you can be moved on from a top club and it not be, you know, a crushing blow to your reputation that you're shit or anything. It's just that these guys are snapping up top, top players and being considered not as good as Erling Haaland right now is no, you know, damning indictment of your game or your ability because you'd have to say that in terms of out-and-out strikers, he's, he's probably top three in the world these days. That's what he's been performing at so Jesus has been moved on but I, I want to re, you know reaffirm the point that doesn't mean he's shit for me he is you know underneath that top tier of strikers where we're talking you know hate him but your Harry Canes yes obviously you know what, what position you put in your Salas and stuff in but the Lewandowski's the Haaland's the Mbappe's these kinds of players there is another tier of players who are not necessarily world-class, but Champions League class. And I think Gabriel Jesus has every right to, you know, consider himself part of that game. He's a multiple league winner. And what is so important about this signing, married with the uh, Lissandro interest, which I hope becomes a signing, we're signing players from teams that have won their leagues. You know what I mean? These ain't mugs. They're very serious. Like, you're talking about two players that, if they were to have stayed where they are, would be playing Champions League football next year. They're both going to get games. You know, they're not going to be completely etched out as pariahs in their team. They both are considered useful to their teams, but ultimately are moving on to get more game time. So I think that the idea, if we if we were to get Lissandro over the line as well, that two players who are very much you know, in rarefied air when it comes to available players in this summer transfer window, have considered Arsenal to be a project attractive enough when we don't actually have the status, you know, in ink this year of being a Champions League club. It is about selling the future project. Um, I think it is a massive endorsement on what is happening and what is being conveyed to potential targets. And overall that our standing and our stock is starting to bounce back a little bit. Um, we're not finishing eighth, uh, at the, you know, like last season, like we had the summer before. And it looks like Arsenal might not be back to where they, they belong as of right now, 
but we're well on the way to it. And that can only, you know, that can only be supported by signing players who would have definitely had other options. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with all that. <clears throat> and yeah, Gabriel Jesus is not um, a world-class striker yet. But I don't think I don't think he's a million miles away. I mean, he's 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 close to a world class talent. I mean, for a for a wide player to get that many games in a club that has done so many things in the in the in all competitions over the last few years. I mean, they're an exceptional side, and he is playing for one of the best managers that's ever graced the game. I think the question is, can he convert his starting form? which is 76 goal contributions across 99 games, can he convert that into Arsenal former striker next year? Because if he does, to my mind, it'd be world-class. I mean, like missing big chances when you're coming on with 20 minutes to go is forgivable. Yeah. If he's still underperforming his XG at the end of the season, he'll still have, he'll still have more goals than Lacazette and Aubameyang last year. But, you know, maybe he doesn't hit world-class level. But I suspect Mikel Arteta is like, if you come and play for us, you will be the star and we will make you one of the best strikers in the world, which I think is exciting. I think, you know, the only thing that's bothered me a little bit about, uh, of all the stuff that I've read, and I, I, I tend to only care about what experts say about, uh, like, players, because the experts get to come, some of the sort of, the character of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, Rafa Honigstein is one of the best when it's sort of assessing a, a character of a player, you know, the way he talks about Lewandowski, you know, gets you excited. Uh, Tim Vickery said that um, after, I think it was the World Cup, uh, Jesus went to and he didn't score a single goal. And Brazil, I think it was Tite, is that how you say it? Said to him after, what position do you want to play? And he didn't know. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't. He was a he was a bit flaky, and it's. I was just thinking about it. Say, like, if you ask Cristiano Ronaldo at twenty five, he would tell you what position he wanted to play. If you ask Lionel Messi, he would tell you. I don't think there's a. I don't think there are many world class players that you would ask what is their best position, and they wouldn't know. And that was that was that was the only light concern that I had about him. But the thing with Arteta is he's very specific. Um, and I suspect Arteta is like, you will be a striker. I'm guessing. Because otherwise, or it's a long time since then, maybe Jesus is like, fuck it, I am a striker, and I yeah. will be the best in this position, and I will prove to Pep that he didn't need to sign Haaland or Alvarez or whatever the other guy's name is. So um, that, that was the only small concern. But what I do like about him is he's played in a world-class system. He is... What, he he must be one of the most intelligent players in the league, otherwise he wouldn't survive that Pep Guardiola system. He's won big tournaments. He scored big goals in big moments, and he has hard work. You know, he sets the tone for our press. And I also like the the, the second order effect of signing Gabriel Jesus is Eddie Nketiah is competing with a player that he has very similar attributes to. Right, not exact. But they both have speed. They're both powerful. They both have a lot of end product. Um, and Gabriel Jesus has a much better all-round game. But he has a lot more experience at the moment. So I kind of like the, you know, if you are going to have two strikers that are the same, 
your young guy who's got to make an impact is learning off somebody that's been there and done that. And I would imagine that that's probably quite inspiring for Inketia next season. So I'm excited about the signing. Should happen tomorrow. Um, he was there at the training ground uh, today getting his pictures taken. So yeah, good it's news. a done deal. It's We've done, done the job. We've done the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's past tense now. Um, just to come back on a few of the points, you know, I think you, you've made some good points there. And I think that you're talking about the pros of having two similar profile strikers, and you're right. The to end find of the day, them. And I don't, I don't want it. You know I don't want it. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Player, exactly. Yeah. There are some pros, and there are definitely some cons. The cons being that we don't have a plan B naturally when it comes to playing styles. They're both providing the same thing. So if one of them struggling, it might mean that the other one might struggle. I think that one note is that um, Eddie will get more encouragement because they are similar styles of strikers. Eddie will not only learn off of Gabby Jesus, he will genuinely believe I can out this guy. And that is why, you know, if we had signed a Haaland, Eddie and Ketia is not going to jump that guy anytime soon. Do you know what I mean? Certainly even in his mind. So I think that he'll be looking at a situation with Jesus, someone who he knows is quality, but hasn't got the name and standing right now as someone who is like, you know, elite, world-class, I, I don't think. And so Eddie would surely think that's, you know, that's the uh, little rabbit from my greyhound, something to aim for and try to, you know, kind of, first of all, get to the same level, but then hopefully surpass. But um, I think that it's interesting when I, I thought exactly the same thing about him not being able to, well, I think ultimately he said, he might prefer playing on the wing, which is worrying for a player that has to be our striker because we need a striker. Um, but, you know, I'm pleased to have him and whether or not he's gone through some identity crisis, uh, the fact is, is we are going to need him as a striker. He must surely know that. Um, I don't think that anything else could have been sold to him. And you talk about the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, um, knowing who he was and who he wanted to be. But I'll, you know, provide a different name as a counterpoint. Theo Walcott used to play right wing for ages and would just constantly bang on about, I want to play up front, I want to play up front. But whenever he got those opportunities, never necessarily took them. You know, I I think Theo was a little underrated by a lot of Arsenal fans, but still, he never set the world alight when he was playing up top. And so... Being assured in the position you want to play is not the be-all and end-all. Do you know what I mean? Ultimately, I think the likes of Salah, when he was was um, brought in at Liverpool, they might have said, where do you want to play? And he's probably like, well, I've been playing on the right wing. I kind of would like to play up front. I don't know. He, he probably wasn't too specific. And look where he is now. He's almost in, invented a position for himself and just taken it to two heights. So I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't uh, get too bogged down in the fact that he's maybe been less assertive with his position. Um, at the end of the day, we know where he's going to play. And I hope that through experience of positive results, he gains clarity with where he wants to play and where his future lies. Because yeah. if he starts scoring goals, he'll soon realise he's a striker. I think the the comparisons to Salah... And maybe Kevin De Bruyne as well are interesting. Uh, both players rejected by Chelsea, both sent to other countries, um, both proved themselves. I mean, Salah went to Roma. He's, he nearly had a forty-goal season strike uh, um, 
a 40 goal season uh, for Roma. And so there's, there's a, that's an interesting one that like, just because you get, and I don't think Jesus was really rejected by City. He just wasn't assured of a, uh, you know, a, a 40 starts in a season like he will be at Arsenal. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. I'm just, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of like what you said at the start of the show. I'm just glad we got the striker position done. Now we know what it is. Now we don't have to fuss. And we got it done early. So he'll be back in two weeks. um, And he will be starting pre-season with us so everybody can get used to him. Um, And, you know, the the rest of the positions, apart from the left back, are nice to have for the start of the season. So, yeah, fair play to Edu, um, who's obviously been... Uh, key to a lot of these deals as well. I mean, Arteta with Jesus, but also, uh, you know, Edu will have had experience with him from the Brazil setup. So exciting there. All right, Johnny, we're uh, hitting an hour and four minutes. I wanted to talk um, finally. Uh, I'm going to call this section No Excuses, part de. Um, there was a tweet last week uh, from, a, from a journalist that said, I don't want to hear excuses from Arteta. Something along the lines of that. I maybe exaggerated exactly what he said, but I took offense to it. And I tweeted that I hate the idea that people think that Arteta is where he is based on excuses right now. Because the reality is this is part of a a process, part of a plan. And how we finished last year um, is irrelevant uh, to the larger plan. It was to get, he wanted to get back into Europe. He wanted to reshape the squad. He wanted to age down. And when you look at things as uh, if, you, if you're going into next season with a no excuses mindset, you're considering failure already rather than the mindset should be how fucking is exci- exciting is this? We've got all these new players. It's going to be a good one. So um, I don't like the excuses merchants. There are, um, I think teenagers get very hooked into this uh, standards thing it's like mate you're 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 14 years old what what are you talking about when it comes to standards um and uh, it's also a lot of people that don't have standards in their own personal life championing <laughs> them online and it, it's true like you see you see some of the, the worst standard merchants on youtube you're like mate what the fuck do you do what have you ever done that hit any sort of world-class standard and you're banging the table for standards well let's not alienate all the people behind you Please. <laughs> all, all of the standard merchants out there going, right, okay, here's some strongly worded uh, reposts to this pod. I don't know. I know I know where you're going. That was a lovely lead-in in terms of your position. I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a different angle. So I heard what you said on the pod with Matt. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I get, your, I get where you're coming from a bit. But for me, when I was listening, I thought it's – comes down to a philosophical quandary when it comes to your Arsenal fandom, uh, like one's Arsenal fandom, I should say. It, it's individual to that person. Now, I am, uh, it's not so much no excuses. That may not be the best way of putting it. But in general, I think the key word here is about accountability. And what I expect from the club, as I said at the start of the pod, is to be putting our best foot forward to try to achieve, you know, success, which is winning. We've won in the past. We should we should be aiming to win again. Now, I feel like the way that you were phrasing it before, it was a case of if anyone suggests that there should be some accountability this year, it means that we're somehow <clears throat> got one foot out of the camp right now. And I'm in full agreement with you in the in the fact that 
the vibe around the, cl- the club, <clears throat> excuse me, is better than it's been for a long time. Fans largely are united and fans are feeling optimistic. And I get your kind of, you know, uh, um, your anxiety about returning to dark days where the fans are divided and no one's excited. I get that. But overall, I think that there are a number of people who have remained sceptical about Arteta during his tenure. And I think that now we are all starting to soften and to start to appreciate the way that we're moving. But along that line, I have to say that I want to see, you know, check marks to be met. And if you told me when Arteta took over in his first, you know, first took over from memory, that we, you know, would, where do I need us to be? Then I'm saying Champions League by this year. And at this point, I think we are at a more no excuses uh, end of proceedings because he's had more than enough opportunity to get his players through the door. I, but what I mean is, and what I want to be clear is, I think he can do it. But I don't think we can make excuses for people when they don't get it done repeatedly. I am as encouraged with the direction the club is moving. Outside of Arteta, it seems like the way that we're identifying players, the way that we're you know, connecting with fans, re-embracing the Arsenal culture, the way. Um, so I, what I wanted from the club was to be moving in the right direction separate to whatever manager we had in there. We talked long in the past about getting a set-up at the club where any manager, like good manager, could come in there and plug in and play and do well, rather than it being, you know, contingent on one particular manager. So I think that I think that Arteta can achieve the goals, but at this stage, I think it's quite reasonable for people to be saying, it's Champions League time, and I think we can do it. The club are backing him fully, so let's focus on that word accountability. He's had more than enough time to learn the job. I think the players are bought in. He's going to have some top players, top additions. We were a game away from win- from getting there last year. It's going to be more difficult with the inclusion of Europa League football. But you know, I think we should. We've got every uh, every reason to set that goal now as a realistic goal. Go out and get it done. No excuses. See. So, so a few a few things to unpack on that. Somebody was chatting to me on Twitter the other day, and they were like, "We need accountability." And I'm like, "Yeah, but what does what does uh, what does accountability mean specifically? Like, and, and what does what does no excuses mean as well? It's like the, like there's no context. There, the, you don't you don't you don't end a season and just be like, I don't care what went on." I don't care if you got to three cup finals. I don't care if you missed out um, on the final game of the season um, to a corrupt referee. It's like there's no, you know, I don't care if you know. Are, you, are we gonna are we gonna sack someone if we we get seventy nine points next season and it's the highest tally for top four ever? It's like there's there you can say no excuses, but what what you're essentially saying is there is no context in the world. No anything other than top four so it's like I, I and i would prefer to start off and say here are the here are the expectations here's where we want to hit this season i think my expectations for next season i would love to have a run at top three i yeah um i i, I think i think i would love to have a run at top three my short-term goals are um you got to really own if, if, if we want to be serious about top three next season 
August cannot start with two defeats. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta you take advantage of those first five games, and like we've got our players in early. Uh, everybody knows how to play with each other. Everybody's got a year's worth of experience under their belt. I don't think we could get a better opportunity. And if you head into October in the top three, you're like, who knows where the season could go? But I just, I just don't like it when um, fans, like certain fans, and it's the usual, you know, like, oh, Barry's, Barry, Barry from Wigan isn't, you know, he's not convinced by Arteta. So fucking what? What, we're going to spend all season <laughs> worrying about what Barry from Wigan? And people get on it. And it used to be like Jeff Arsenal. I, I love Jeff Arsenal. Lovely guy on Twitter. But so many people would be like, oh, Jeff, have you got an opinion on Arsene yet? Who cares? Who cares? The, the Arsene Wenger is failing. It doesn't matter whether one person on Twitter says that he isn't because he is. And everything points towards that. So this idea that we're still in a situation where we have to convince a few people, like, it doesn't matter. Like, the rocket ship is off. Fans in the stadium are, uh, are behind the players. Like, we've got a young squad. We've got a bit of vision behind it. I don't care about the, the naysayers. But I just think Arsenal fans... Generally, if you set out for the season worrying about what happens if we don't hit the target, are you really enjoying football in the same way as me, you and Matt were on the podcast? We're not talking about failure. We're talking about top three and the rocket ship. And it's it's just uh, it's a nuance. It's a positioning thing that, that irritates me. But it's just like certain people want to be that. Oh, he doesn't like Arteta vibe, you know, like like grow up, man. Like move with the times. If you've got a fixed opinion, you are a boring person. I, 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 I get complete uh, lots of it where you're coming from. I actually agree with. Um, and I know I think it's a philosophical thing. Like, you know, you're, you're like double down on the optimistic vibes. And, and, you know, but I don't think you can necessarily look at fans who maybe feel like that and think, oh, they're not enjoying football. I, I see it as a sign of progression. I see it as a sign that we're progressing if we can set these kind of baselines or expectations you know what I mean and I'm in agreement of course there's got to be nuance to it you know if our four best players all got broken legs we're not going to get there and I don't no one should be walking around going no excuses sack them no not at all but there are expectations that should be put out there now it's no longer a learning season this is what we're aiming to do we're backing you in that way and I think that expectations should be you know transmitted accordingly and you know, uh, take it uh, held to account by Arteta himself. He wants to be held to that account because he's had the time. I don't think it's about being negative. In some ways, I think it's about being positive. That as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of other fans out there, I think we can get top three, like you said, you know, or not necessarily top three, but top four. But if we don't, I will be disappointed now. And that's what yeah, I'm trying brilliant. to say. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I think you are a prime example of a fan that has been in a negative space with Arsenal, been in a negative space with the manager. But when things change and the situation improves, you, you shift your opinion. But I think there are... Um, Twitter, Twitter favours extremism, I think. And people get quite addicted to their extreme views, picking up um, a bit of momentum. And it's, it's more those people where you're like, do you really enjoy football like are you really going to go into this season and like all you care about is your own personal brand on twitter it's like enjoy it but the thing that i care about the most is you know the people around me like you like matt like my arsenal you know my extended arsenal family i think everybody's excited and what i what i love about what's happened at arsenal 
is I, th- I think uh, somebody wrote um, along that, you know, it's good to feel disappointed at the end of a season, right? Because it means that there was an expectation that you could do something. This season coming up, there's an expectation for me, and I think with Arteta, and I, I think with um, the players, I think there's something special brewing. And we're, we're not going to challenge for the league this season. But I tell you, if we, if we get next season right and we add goals and our defenders get a little bit better and we learn to deal with adversity and we rotate the squad and the players, you know, man up a little bit. You know, like don't, don't let the situation get on top of you. Don't be boys. Turn into men this season. Um, I think if we get this season right and we get off to a good start, the season after... Things could start to happen. I mean, like you, you know, you spoke about it earlier in the show. Liverpool have lost a lot of end product. And say say what you will about scouting, there is always an element of luck. This young kid, Vieira, that we've signed, he could be incredible, or he just could not like the league. He could be a he could be a Reyes. He looks he looks like a Reyes. Looks at, you know he looks very small and slight, and he might like if you're if you're a, a I don't know, like a Watford player next season, you're going to kick the shit out of him. He is going to get battered all season. So that could go either way. But if it goes the right way, we could have one of the you know most decisive players in Europe. Liverpool have got, um, Liverpool have got to add 70 goal contributions this window. Darwin Nunes, there's no guarantees there. He's come from a Portuguese league. Could be good, probably will be good. But is he going to be... Is is he going to be 70 goal contributions worth of good in his first season? I don't know. Luis Diaz, top, top player. But, you know, where was he in the Champions League final? Wasn't there. So I think that if we get this season right, the next season, we could be challenging for the Premier League. I mean, a lot of luck involved, but I, I like the direction that we're going in. And I like that Arsenal fans are starting to feel something for their club again. Because I tell you, under Unai Emery, I'm dead. Cut me open, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a bit of cold that drops out. <laughs> it's a bit of coal and 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 dry residue of tears that I've collected over the years. Now I'm going I'm going into Saturdays. I'm waking up at six o'clock in the morning, and I am buzzing for Arsenal. And when we lose, it ruins me all week. I swear, Johnny, there were six or seven years where we'd lose, and I'd just be like, "This is this is fucking art. This is Arsenal. This is what we do. We disappoint. Don't feel that anymore." Yeah, there was apathy in droves at one point. Um, that was a lovely pod, Pete. That was great. That was a lovely pod, and we've gone quite late, so I appreciate it. Sorry, I forget the the window. Your window was bright uh, when we came on, so I'm assuming it's three o'clock where you are, and it's definitely not. So I appreciate you staying <laughs> on late. Johnny, where can people find you? And can they go to BBC iPlayer and check out you in some sort of comedy show? Yeah, you can. Um, Avoidance, the new Romish Rangabathan sitcom. Uh, I have a small part, little cameo, but, you know, I'm sure the AOP audience will like it and go, I know that bloke, he's off something else, yeah. He chats a lot of shit about Arsenal, but, yeah, they, you know, you can watch it. Episode three, I'm in. I'm like a dodgy estate agent. Couldn't you believe it? Could you believe you someone's mind? Suit, suit jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Proper Primark stuff as well. Like, you know, it looked like, um, yeah, it, I, I was a bit of a, sh- a shady estate agent. So check it out. Um, as always, you can find me at I, Johnny Cochran. Um, on my socials, come chat to me about Arsenal and whatnot. And as always, sign up to our Patreon. If you haven't, well, everyone on this would have signed up to our Patreon because 
You're listening to a page. Hey, this will this will go. This one will go into YouTube. This one will go into YouTube. Oh, there we go. At yeah, some point. You... All right, Johnny. Um, I appreciate uh, you. Uh, and if you are on the Patreon and this is your first one, make sure you check out Johnny's top twenty-five. Some very contentious content on there. Um, a fantastic watch or listen. And if you listen to the podcast and you are on iTunes, make sure you give us a five-star rating because we love those. Okay, on that note, I'll say ciao for now and we will see you this Sunday for an update on where we are with transfers. And I think we're going to be joined by the Highbury squad. Sophie's coming on the podcast. It's going to be a good one. Ciao for now. Podcast Network.